Peace be upon you. In chapter 20, verse 17, God asks Moses a question. God asks Moses, what is this in your right hand, Moses? Now, God is all-knowing. So why is he asking Moses this question? And my takeaway from this is that the question wasn't meant for God. It was meant for Moses. God knows everything. God knows us before the creation. God knows who's going to end up in heaven, who's going to end up in hell. And it's out of his mercy that he allows us to go through this life to see for ourselves why we end up where we do. In 57.22 it reads, Anything that happens on earth or to you has already been recorded even before the creation. This is easy for God to do. Meaning that the purpose of this life is not for God to see why we end up where we do. It's for us to see why we end up uh, where we do. In 3154 it reads, God thus puts you to the test to bring out your true convictions and to test what is in your hearts. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows every thought, every intention we have and our motivations and why we make the decisions we do. God allows us to go through this life so we can see for ourselves why we end up making the decisions that we choose to make. In 67.2, it reads, The purpose of our life. The one who created death and life for the purpose of distinguishing those among you who would do better. He is the Almighty, the forgiving. And God understands that for us to come to this level of certainty of God's omnipotence, God's uh, omniscience, that it takes a lifelong uh, chance, it takes a lifelong process to go through the purification, uh, to eliminate all these impurities that we've picked up throughout the years, these bad habits, uh, to come to the point of having a perfect religion, uh, to absolving ourselves of any you know jealousy, hatred, anger, um, and you know uh, these uh, sinful behaviors that we've picked up through the years. And a perfect example of this is uh, the example of Moses. Uh, when Moses, uh, God first spoke to Moses, Moses was apprehensive. Uh, God commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh, and Moses' response was, you know, my tongue gets tied, I lose my temper, they may kill me. He came up with all these excuses. But after Moses went through and gave the message to Pharaoh and basically demanded to uh, let the children of Israel go, Moses' mentality shifted. He became a believer. And you see it in the way that when they were uh, fleeing uh, Pharaoh and his troops and they hit the sea, when everyone else was saying that they were doomed, Pharaoh's going to catch them, uh, Moses' response was, no way. And it was at that moment that the sea parted. And it's because Moses had a conviction of God's omnipotence, that God never breaks a promise, that God is in absolute control, that he had no doubt. And this process doesn't happen overnight. It takes... It takes time, and God is clearly aware of that. And just like God created Moses, and in 2039 says, I had you made before my watchful eye, and God knew exactly what Moses was capable of, God knows what every single human being is capable of, because similarly, he created every single one of us. In 64.2, it reads, He is the one who created you. Then among you there is the disbeliever and the believer. God is fully seer of everything you do. He created the heavens and the earth for a specific purpose, designed you, and perfected your design. Then to him is the final destiny. He knows everything in the heavens and the earth. He knows everything he, uh, you conceal and everything you declare. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. So God knows us better than we know ourselves. Not only does he know the absolute creation of us, what's inside our hearts, what's inside our minds, he knows us better than we even know ourselves. And uh, 
Example of this is in 4056. It reads, Surely those who argue against God's revelations without proof are exposing the arrogance that is inside their chest, and they are not even aware of it. Therefore, seek refuge in God. He is the hearer, the seer. Uh, Because of this, God leads us by virtue of our belief, meaning that whatever it is that we believe, God is going to allow us to go down that path to confirm those beliefs. In 10.9, it reads, As for those who believe and lead a righteous life, their Lord guides them by virtue of their belief. Rivers will flow beneath them in the gardens of bliss. So whatever is in our heart, God created this world to bring that out, to bring out our true convictions. And one of the ways that God brings out our true, true convictions is through our understanding. What understanding do we choose to have? In chapter 83, verse 7 through 9, and 18 through 20, we read, Indeed, the book of the wicked is in Sejin. Do you know what Sejin is? A numerically structured book. And 83, 18 through 20, it says, Indeed, the book of the righteous will be in Elyin. Do you know what Elyin is? A numerically structured book. My takeaway from these verses is that two people can look at the exact same book, And one of them will guide them to righteousness, and the other one will be guided to wickedness, even though it's the same book. Meaning that we might experience life, say, through the same uh, as someone else, but come out with vastly different understandings of what kind of a world we live in. And that has to do with the beliefs that we hold. And this Quran is the book for both the believers and the disbelievers because the disbelievers claim to follow this book just as much as the believers do, if not more so. So how can reading this book come out, you know, allow someone to come with the wrong understanding? And God gives us an example that oftentimes people can pull the verses out of context. And in 3.7 it reads, He sent down this scripture containing straightforward verses which constitute the essence of the scripture, as well as multiple meaning or allegorical verses. Those who harbor doubts in their hearts will pursue the multiple meaning verses to create confusion and to extricate a certain meaning. None knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well-founded in knowledge. They say, we believe in this, all of it comes from our Lord, only those who possess intelligence will take heed. Now, you take this this example, you know, someone who pulls the verses out of context. Someone can pull that verse, chapter 20, verse 17, when God asks Moses, what is that in your right hand? And make the claim that, look, God is not all-knowing. Why would he ask Moses this? And it shows that if someone has ill intentions, there's plenty of excuses in the Quran for people to come to the wrong understanding. And another way that people, in essence, can come to the wrong understanding of the Quran is if they have selective emphasis. And this is depicted in chapter 4, verse 44. It says, Have you noted those who received a portion of the scripture and how they choose to stray and wish that you stray from the path? Meaning that someone gets a portion, one verse or you know, a handful of verses, puts all their emphasis on that and neglects the entire message of the Quran. One of the first commandments that were given in the Quran was to read the Quran from cover to cover. Meaning that you cannot extricate just the meaning from one verse. You have to look at everything in full. 114 times in the Quran, God introduces himself as the most gracious, most merciful. And we have to think about that, that these are the adjectives that 
God decided to describe himself to the human race. That when someone opens the Quran, the first verse they read is in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Now, if we read the verses under the context that God is most gracious, most merciful, we have to come to the realization that if we come to a meaning, an understanding that to us seems cruel, to us seems you know uh, unjust, uh, unjust, that it's not the Quran that's wrong, it's our understanding that's wrong. So God willing, in this uh, podcast, I'm going to tackle, or God willing, attempt to tackle some of these misconceptions, some of these verses that have been... Uh, abused by many people uh, when reading the Quran. And again, these verses, the common theme is that if you look at the Quran in completion from cover to cover, and if you look at the Quran with the understanding of God is most gracious, most merciful, it becomes obvious to us the true understanding of these verses. So inshallah, I'm going to try to split it up into two podcasts. The first podcast, I'm going to talk about bad language, anger, spousal abuse. And then in the second podcast, God willing, I'm going to talk about slavery, intoxicants, and gambling. And uh, try to see these uh, these topics that are talked about in the Quran in their entirety. So God tells us in 65 verse 11 that the purpose of the Quran is to bring the believers out of darkness into the light. It reads, a messenger who recites to you God's revelations clearly to lead those who believe and work righteousness out of darkness into light. Anyone who believes in God and leads a righteous life, he will admit him into gardens with flowing streams, they abide therein forever. God will generously reward him. God knows that when we receive a message, there are certain practices. So when we get the message, we have baggage. We have things that we've grown up with, understandings that we've had, culture that we have, bad habits that we had that we need to break. God realizes that just because we got the message, we're not going to be able to change a practice that we've had for a lifelong uh, time uh, overnight. You know, Now, obviously, when it comes to the dedication of worshiping God alone, making our practices to worship God alone, we need to implement these ASAP. But when it comes to our own day-to-day activities, that God realizes that just like it took years of habit and bad training to get to that level, it's going to take just as much time to break those habits. And a perfect example of this is in the context of bad language. And in 4148, the header reads, do not use bad language. And the verse reads, God does not like the utterance of bad language unless one is treated with gross injustice. God is here nowhere. So someone can read this verse and say, well, look, yeah, I'm not supposed to use bad language unless I'm treated with gross injustice. Then I can use bad language. If you just look at this verse in itself. Now, this is fine for someone who just came to the message who might have years of uh, history using bad language to all of a sudden stop. But what's interesting is when you read the Quran further and you come to the realization that, okay, if you're allowed to use bad language when you have, uh, you're treated with gross injustice, what is gross injustice? In 2362, we read, We never burden any soul beyond its means, and we keep a record that utters the truth. No one will suffer injustice. In 7213, it reads, When we heard the guidance, we believe there. Anyone who believes in his Lord will never fear any injustice nor any affliction. 
One of the common themes in the Quran uh, we spent a lot of time in the podcast talking about is that God is doing absolutely everything. That there is not a leaf that falls in this world that God is not aware of. That being said is that we have to have full, absolute trust in God that there is never going to be an injustice that happens in this world that either A, the person didn't deserve, or B, that's not meant for their good while in the in the, uh, the moment might seem like it's bad. Meaning that if you have absolute trust in God, you will never fear any injustice because you realize that even if someone is uh, out to do you harm, that God is the ultimate decision maker. God is the one who determines the outcome of every single situation uh, and that nothing happens to us outside of our Lord's control. So if you look at it under that context, it says God does not like the utterance of bad language unless one is treated with gross injustice. And you come to the realization that gross injustice is something that if you look at it at the aggregate of this world from before we were created to after we were created, that there's never going to be an atom's weight of injustice because God is in absolute control, then there will never be a situation where we're justified to use bad language. And this is an understanding that we have to grow to adapt to, uh, to, uh, to hold. This isn't something that, in essence, that you can expect someone to come to immediately when they first get the message, especially if they have years of uh, using bad language. Um, another example of this is in regards to anger. In 3.134, it says, Who give to charity during the good times as well as bad times. They are suppressors of anger and partners of the people. God loves the charitable. And in this verse, you know, the one takeaway is that, okay, they're suppressors of anger. But as submitters, we have no right to ever get angry because anger is an objection to God's system. If we, again, believe that God is doing absolutely everything, then we have no reason to ever lose our temper, to ever get angry. Because we realize that God is the one who orchestrated the situation. God is the one who's controlling every single person, every single entity, every single atom. And if we come to that firm conviction, we'll never have a reason to get angry. In 3.109 it reads, To God belongs everything in the heavens and everything on earth, and all matters are controlled by God. 4.126 To God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. God is in full control of all things. 42.53 says, The path of God to whom belongs everything in the heavens and everything on earth, absolutely all matters are controlled by God. And in 16.1 it says, God's command has already been issued and everything has already been written, so do not rush it. Be he glorified, he is most high, far above any idols they set up. The last verse, 16.1, it's just, it's such a great depiction because so many times, you know, anger is triggered from impatience. And it's believing that something isn't happening as fast as it should. When we come to the realization that God is the one who is orchestrating every single traffic light, every single intersection, every single car that passes by you or you pass, that God is controlling all this, we will never get impatient. We will never have a reason to get angry. And in 4237 says, they avoid gross sins and vice, and when angered, they forgive. So God knows we're going to slip up. There's going to be times we're going to get angry. The immediate response is to suppress that anger. But eventually, God willing, we can get to a point where, inshallah, we'll never get angry. So this brings us to the third item. Uh, it's definitely the most heavy of the three. Uh, the first two, in comparison, were rather uh, straightforward. You know, do not use bad language. Uh, do not lose your temper. Um, if anything, you know, suppress it. 
Uh, this third item is a lot more serious and it has to do with spousal abuse. And the Quran strongly prohibits any form of aggression uh, against someone who's not an aggressor. And this also is the case in regards to spousal abuse. In 2.190, it reads, God does not love the aggressors. In chapter 2, verse 191, it reads, oppression is worse than murder. And in 2.193, it says, aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. So God does not love the aggressors, oppression is worse than murder, and aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. Now, a lot of times when people think of uh, oppression, they think of oppression in the context of a dictator, a monarch, some sort of ruler over a group of people. Uh, but oppression is something that most of us will uh, have the authority at some point in our life, uh, be it against our children, uh, our spouses, uh, our employees, and the question is, how do we behave in those circumstances? When God authorizes us with certain uh, authority, how do we uh, utilize that uh, authority? Uh, do we become oppressors? Uh, and if we do, God is telling us that oppression is worse than murder. And unfortunately, um, spousal abuse is something that's very prevalent. And it's in the U.S. alone, it's estimated that over 4 million women experience physical violence from their spouse in a given year. Uh, one out of four women will be victims of severe violence by a partner in their lifetimes. Uh, now, that's a staggering number. And to think that this is just within the U.S. in today's society. And today, by God's leave, in most of the world, uh, at least the developed parts of the world, um, the abuse of uh, our uh, spouses, be it male, be it female, uh, is strongly condemned and it's completely frowned upon. Uh, unfortunately, if you go back in time or if you go to different uh, uh, countries, this still is not uh, the, the common belief. And despite this, you still see that within the U.S., the number of spousal abuse is still staggeringly high. And um, thank God that God in the Quran that prohibits uh, using violence against someone who is not an aggressor, who is not physically fighting you, uh, in anything other than self-defense. And again, this has to do with the Quran's non-aggression principle. And spousal abuse by no means would ever be constituted uh, or authorized in the Quran, and it's strongly uh, prohibited. Uh, God saying that women were put into a position where they are uh, victims of this crime uh, dedicated an entire chapter in the Quran to the protection of women. And it's in chapter 4, and the title of the chapter is Women. And um, in the uh, footnote of one of the verses, uh, we read uh, that we know that the theme of this surah is defending the women's rights and countering the prevalent oppression of women. Any interpretation of the verses of this surah must be in favor of the women. This surah's theme is protection of the women. And um, the verse that this uh, footnote constitutes to is in 434, and the header is, Do not beat your wife. Um, and the verse reads, The men are made responsible for the women, and God has endowed them with certain qualities and made them the bread earners. The righteous women will cheerfully accept this arrangement, since it is God's commandment and honor their husbands during their absence. If you experience rebellion from the women, you shall first talk to them, then you may use negative incentives like deserting them in bed. Then you may, as a last alternative, beat them. If they obey you, you are not permitted to transgress against them. God is most high, supreme. And the footnote reads, 
God prohibits wife beating by using the best psychological approach. For example, if I don't want you to shop at market X, I will ask, uh, ask you to shop at market Y, then at market Z, then as a last resort at market X. This will effectively stop you from sharp, uh, shopping at market X without insulting you. Similarly, God provides alternatives to wife beating. Reasoning with her first, then employing certain negative incentives. Remember, the theme of this surah is defending the women's rights, encountering the prevalent oppression of women. Any interpretation of the verse of the surah must be in favor of the women. This surah's theme is protection of women. And again, God is using psychology here in the sense that God realizes that there's a large number of the population, uh, of the human population, that uh, resort to violence against their spouses. And God is creating a system for them to stop this, uh, this behavior. And given the example of saying, for instance, you know, God doesn't want you to shop, uh, shop at Market X, uh, and gives you alternatives to shop at market Y and Z, and effectively stopping that individual from shopping at market X. Um, and again, it's worth mentioning that the name that God has chose to describe himself in the Quran uh, to mankind 114 times is most gracious, most merciful. And we have to understand that when we read these verses, we have to look at them under the context of the most gracious, most merciful. And from the previous examples that God is the best psychologist for his creations and that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's designed a system that those who choose to follow his commandments, that they'll be able to break the bad habits, all this luggage that we uh, came to when we first got the message. Now, it would be ideal if everyone who got the message was just this perfect human being, but that's not reality. Uh, you know, most of us come with years and years of cultural baggage, uh, just bad habits that we've accrued that we need to break ourselves of, uh, be it bad language, be it with anger, and be it with violence. And in this example, God is providing us steps for someone who is misguided to not resort to violence. And we know that if you look at the Quran in aggregate, uh, that violence is never permissible. Uh, the only time is, is in the sense of self-defense. And, you know, beating one's wife is not uh, self-defense. Um, and God gives us these steps, right? The first thing is to encourage talking. You know, God is telling them to first talk to the women. And, you know, the importance of uh, communicating in a relationship cannot be uh, emphasized enough. Uh, you know, so many of the disputes and frustrations occur because of a uh, miscommunication. And God is saying before you resort, you know, going to market X, to first talk with them. And hopefully you get to a point where no longer, you know, the disputes uh, uh, risen, the anger subsidizes. And the second thing is that God is saying, okay, after you've talked with them, then use negative incentives like deserting them in bed. And what's awesome about this is on twofold. One is this is, in essence, ensuring a substantial amount of time from whenever the anger uh, kicks in to when the action is meant to happen. Meaning that if someone gets angry one day, they say, well, okay, first I talked with them, I've talked with them, then I got to wait at least an entire night. Uh, before I can react. And the thing is, most people who commit acts of violence, and this is in regards to domestic violence, uh, do it in the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the passion of the moment. And it's something that if they had 
you know, just some time to, to take a step back, to let their anger uh, subsidize, that they wouldn't carry out that act. And the fact that it's saying, you know, uh, in essence, uh, deserting them from bed, it's keeping the woman safe and it's giving the, the, the man a time to, uh, to collect himself, to hopefully, you know, read the Quran. One of the uh, commandments in the, the Quran is to read the Quran from cover to cover, to read it, you know, at night before you go to bed. Uh, that hopefully, you know, he'll come to his senses that violence is something that God will never uh, uh, allow for uh, a believer to carry through. And, you know, you hear the expression sleep on it, and this is a perfect depiction of that. Uh, additionally, scientifically, it's proven that men sleep worse in a bed alone as opposed to sleeping with their spouse, while women are, you know, if anything, neutral or sleep better uh, when their husbands aren't in bed. So while this might seem like a negative incentive for the uh, the woman, it's actually a negative incentive for the man. And it's something that the man would not want to carry through. And because he wouldn't be able to carry it through, therefore he wouldn't ever be able to get to market X. And again, this is a system to stop the action. Now, there's no way to uh, someone who's attempting to uphold the Quran, who knows that they are one, not supposed to, uh, they're supposed to suppress their angers, two, to not be, you know, intoxicated, and we'll get that, God willing, to the uh, the next podcast, you know, a lot of domestic abuse happens under the uh, the influence of uh, intoxications, um, and that three, it's just that God prohibits in any circumstance being an aggressor or an oppressor, uh, that they will never again get to market acts, uh, and God is so gracious and so merciful that he does not want to insult the person who is misguided and beats their wife. Uh, now, we are inherently mean, uh, but God, again, is the best psychologist. Um, it's a blessing that most of us currently, we live in societies where uh, husbands beating their wife uh, is completely frowned upon, but that's not the case in most parts of the world, and that's definitely not the case if you go back in history. Um, even in the U.S., you know, in uh, not too long ago from, say, the 1600s, 1700s, uh, it was common practice for husbands to openly beat their wives. Uh, the practice was so common that the origins of the phrase, the rule of thumb, originated from a law that allowed husbands to beat their wives as long as the object they used for the act was not wider than their thumb. Right? This is something that's been prevalent in society for many, many times. And the Quran, again, was written in the dark ages of Saudi Arabia. And it was given to people who, you know, for all practical purposes, were not the most uh, highest in moral integrity. And that's the case with most people in society. I mean, you go to a lot of places in the world, the way they treat one another, the way that the, the, the relationships are conducted um, aren't Quranic. And God is instituting a practice to hopefully purify that action. And the way that God is doing this by, you know, straight up not insulting the individual uh, is a way for them to actually implement change. Uh, it's scientifically proven that if you have a belief and someone comes immediately with a, uh, you know, in essence, insulting your belief and with a contrary viewpoint, uh, that there's chemicals that are released in the mind that will actually strengthen your existing belief and make you more reluctant to change. And the fact that God has instituted this psychology uh, for someone to be able to, who's, you know, came to the conviction that they want to follow the Quran, but has uh, come to religion with this baggage, now has a, you know, a, a process by which to eliminate that from their, uh, from their um, habits. And by reasoning with them and giving them a plan of action uh, that does not insult them, uh, it is opening the possibility of them breaking this terrible practice. 
And, um, you know, for those that this is not satisfactory, that they get so fixated uh, that God has put the psychology in the Quran um, and they just abandon the Quran entirely. What's interesting is if you go just 10 verses after 434 to 444, uh, we read, have you noted those who received a portion of the scripture and how they choose to stray and wish that you stray from the path? Um, that most people, they'll read that one verse in isolation and not come to the full grasp of what the Quran's message is, what God's message is for humankind, um, and get fixated on it and believe that you know God is condoning uh, the act of wife beating when it's the complete opposite. God willing, we're going to stop there. Inshallah, in the uh, future podcast, we're going to talk about some more uh, juicy items in the same concept of the psychology that God has employed in regards to uh, slavery, uh, intoxicants, and uh, gambling slash insurance. Um, if you got any comments or questions, hit us up at Quran at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, peace and God bless.